Well, good morning once again uh, to you who are here in person, to you who are here online. We are taking a joy ride through Paul's letter to the Philippians. Such a joyful letter. And one of the things that we're discovering on this ride is that joy pops up in some of the most surprising places. Uh, it, it pops up in this partnership that we have uh, with God and with one another. It, parts up, it hops up in, in uh, times when we experience this humble worship or humble serving. We see joy spring up uh, when we have new priorities. And today I want us to see the joy that comes in prayer. And so I'm going to ask you to have your Bibles open uh, to Philippians chapter 4 as we read this, uh, the first seven verses. Some pretty famous ones uh, as well, if, uh, uh, if you've been around the New Testament before, on, on prayer and on the, the power that God gives us through prayer. So listen as I read Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the, in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. May God bless the reading of this word. So cartoonists like to employ a, a kind of drawing called a, a thought bubble. Uh, a thought bubble is a little different than a dialogue bubble. A thought bubble just tells you what the character is, is thinking, not what they say out loud. In fact, I think we have an example for you here. So that's Snoopy's thought bubble there, right? Uh, now I wonder if I could read a transcript of your thought bubbles from, say, Friday morning. Right? What would that reading be like? Well, what if you could read a transcript of my thought bubbles from Friday morning? Is that not a scary thought if we could read those transcripts? Like, for example, maybe you woke up uh, on that morning and the first thing you thought about that morning when you woke up was the last thing you thought about when you were falling asleep. Uh, and that was this deep conflict, this difficult conflict that you have with someone close to you. Maybe somebody you live with, maybe somebody you work with, maybe somebody who's connected to your family tree in some way. And so that thought bubble is characterized by deep hurt, anger, and sorrow. Or, or maybe your thought bubble Friday morning was less about difficult conflict and it was more about just garden variety irritation. Uh, you, you were irritated. Somebody said that they'd do something and they didn't do it. Somebody said they'd stop doing something, but they did it again. Uh, somebody, uh, you know, left something where it shouldn't be. They, 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 put, they didn't put something back where it, it really belongs. And so those thought bubbles were all about kind of irritation. Or maybe, and perhaps even more likely, you had a, a cluster of thought bubbles on Friday morning that were just this interconnected series of 
anxieties. Just worry and then worry and then worry and then worry. We worry about too little money, too much debt. We, we worry about too few days to find a new job before the severance from the old job runs out. We worry about an upcoming exam or performance review or out-of-cycle performance review or out-of-cycle parent-teacher conference. And, and we worry and we worry and we worry and, and we're almost addicted to the worries. It's kind of like when you have that sore tooth and you just can't stop nudging it with your tongue, right? You, you just can't stop pressing into the, the painful places. You just can't stop feeding a, a grudge instead of starving it. You just can't stop meditating on your irritations. Uh, you just can't stop worrying. And when you try to deal with one worry, and okay, I think I've dealt with that, it's kind of like whack-a-mole. And, and here comes more and more and more worries. Now, I think if I were the Apostle Paul, I, I would be tempted by so many painful, difficult thought bubbles. We know that in this letter, Paul mentions opponents who, through their false teaching, were trying to tear down everything Paul had built up with the help of the Holy Spirit. I can't imagine what irritations and, and frustrations would, would come from being chained up in a dark prison, as Paul was as he wrote this letter. And then, of course, Paul's legal troubles uh, must have had him wondering how many days he would have left on planet Earth. And yet, as I read today's passage, Philippians 4, 1 through 7, it almost seems to me that Paul is asking God to edit, to revise each thought bubble, to take those thoughts and to revise them in a holy direction. You know, elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul speaks about the Christian's battle against our thoughts. And, and I love what Paul says in, in chapter 10, verse 5. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And get this, and we take captive every thought, every angry thought, every fearful thought, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Well, I think in a sense, that's what Paul is doing in our passage. He is taking captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I think what Paul is teaching us, in other words, is how to revise uh, painful thoughts with joyful prayer. How to bring prayer into our thought life. Did you know one of the main purposes of prayer is to bring us joy? I, I almost think one of the key ways you could define prayer <clears throat> is finding joy in God. Now, I know not every prayer would fall under that category in the moment. Sometimes we cry out to God in, in pain and lament. But, but one of the things that struck me about our passage is just the prominent theme of joy. For example, in verse 1, uh, we read about joy. Paul says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, this joyful relationship Paul has with them, he calls them my joy and crown. And then he says, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I think what he's saying is to stand firm in joy. You know, there's so many different places that you and I could kind of take our stand in life. There's so many places where we could plant our flag in life. We could take our stand in the land of grudges and bitterness. We could take our stand in the land of impatience and irritability. We could take our stand in the land of fear and worry. But Paul, who discovered such joy with God, 
who could actually refer to the Philippians as his joy and his crown, says, I want you to stand firm in the Lord. Well, prayer is the way we stand firm in the Lord. Prayer is the way we stand firm in the Lord in the way that we think. Prayer is inviting the Lord and his joy into our thought life. And one of the most important ways we do this uh, is laid out for us in verse 4. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. When I was a kid, there was a song uh, that was based on this verse, and it was a joyful song, and uh, it seems like it even had some clapping uh, that went with it. And, uh, and, and I, I love the fact that that verse, verse 4, uh, it has repetition in it. You know, we, we repeat the things that are most important to us, don't we? And so, like if you're coming down an elevator with a, uh, with a four-year-old and you're getting toward the bottom and they're facing up, you probably don't just say, hey, it's time to turn around. <laughs> no, we're, we, we've only got like three little steps before we get to the bottom. So what do you say? You say, turn around, turn around, turn around. You, you repeat it because it's important, because it's urgent. Paul, in in verse 4, is repeating this message of rejoicing because it is important and it's urgent. Rejoice, rejoice. Find your joy in the Lord. Turn your back on the things that tempt you and find your joy in the Lord. Not just Sunday, but Monday as well. Wednesday as well. Not just first thing in the morning when perhaps a Bible is open and, and, you know, you've got coffee and everybody else is sleeping, but, but rejoice throughout the day. Now, I can hear some of your thought bubbles. You're saying, Larry, if I could do that, <laughs> don't you think I would do that? If I, if I could rejoice right now, don't you think I, I would? And it is true. The Bible speaks of joy as, as a gift or as a fruit. It's one of the nine fruit of the, the Spirit lift, listed in Galatians 5, verse 22. It's true that, that, that you and I can't manufacture joy. In fact, nobody likes fake joy, right? Sometimes we, we preachers do this. Hey, well, good morning, everyone. You know, that kind of fake joy. Who likes that? Nobody likes fake joy, right? But one of the things we can do is we can turn our, our, our face in the direction of the God who gives joy. Right? The, the, the consistent teaching of Scripture is that joy is found nowhere else but in God. And whenever our our thought bubbles are characterized by the graffiti of bitterness and impatience and anxiety, we can say, Lord, rewrite my thoughts. Help me find my joy in you. Lord, write your name in my mind. Write your presence in my heart. Revise my troubled thoughts through the power of your spirit. One of the things that I I love is that, that Paul almost presents this life of prayer as a life where the Holy Spirit is our editor. Have you ever thought about that? I, I used to, to work with a woman at a church in Atlanta and uh, just an amazing follower of Jesus. And she's my mom's age uh, and I was in my 30s. And, and, uh, and while you know, the org chart would have said that she was my assistant, uh, spiritually speaking, uh, she was just so much wiser and more mature than me. And, and I drew so much from her wisdom. And I remember whenever I would preach, um, you know, the week that I was going to preach, she would kind of come into my office and she would say, she wouldn't ask, she would say, I need to pray for you. And I would say, okay. And so, and so she would pray and maybe she was worried about me, I don't know, but she would pray and she would pray. And one of the things she always would pray is she would pray, Lord, 
be his editor-in-chief. I mean, she would specifically ask the Spirit of God to edit out anything that I didn't need to say and to, to write in anything that I should say but hadn't already planned to say. I think that's the beautiful role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us take captive painful or sinful thoughts and revise them in ways that honor God and increase our joy. So I want to look at a few of the ways that I think Paul models this for us in this passage. First way is is circumstances of relational brokenness. Relational brokenness. And so maybe even right now, if you're in a situation of of relational brokenness with somebody, uh, I, I I want you to see how we can find joy in the bigger picture in the midst of that relational brokenness. Now, now one of the things that we find here in Philippians 4 is that joy is not incompatible with pain, that we can actually find joy in the midst of pain. And so in verses 2 and 3, Paul addresses a a painful situation at Philippi. In fact, I'm I'm imagining uh, the first time this letter is read, hey, hey, church at Philippi, we got a letter from Paul. Uh, Well, let's read it. Let's open it and read it. And then you get to this part in chapter 4 where he calls out two prominent women in the church who are no doubt sitting on opposite sides uh, of, the, of the place. And, and Paul kind of calls them out in, in chapter 4, verse 2, and he says this, I plead with Euodia, woman number one, and I plead with Syntyche, woman of the two, number two, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, who are these two women? Some scholars say that they were, they were influential leaders in the church. They were likely... Uh, well-respected leaders, and yet somehow, as sometimes happens, these two well-respected leaders got in relational conflict with one another. You know, a few things can kind of sap the life out of you, like being in relational brokenness with somebody that you used to be very close with. So how in the world do you find joy in a situation like this? When your thoughts are characterized by just deep anger and, and sorrow, Well, what I find so helpful about this passage is that Paul helps us see the bigger picture. We find joy in seeing the bigger picture of what God is up to. We find joy in rising to a higher plane. It's interesting, Paul doesn't say, now, Euodia, I want you to go make up with Syntyche. He doesn't say, Syntyche, right? You need to go and kind of on your knees before Euodia. No, he says, I plead with, with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche, to find unity in the Lord. And then Paul even mentions a a loyal yoke fellow, some translations say, or companion uh, to come alongside them and to help them in this process of negotiating conflict. Some people think it was actually Luke that Paul was referring to. I want you to come alongside them. I want you to help them find their joy in the Lord. And then Paul does something really interesting. He takes them backward. And he takes them forward. And how does he do that? Well, first of all, he takes them backward. He he reminds them of a time when they weren't in relational conflict. And they had such a a sweet relationship and a profitable partnership. I want you to see what he says in verse 3. He says, yes, and I ask you, my true companion, maybe that's Luke, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life, backward and forward. He helps them remember a time in the past 
when these two women and Paul and others were shoulder to shoulder in the cause of the gospel. In fact, this word contended uh, was used in ancient Greek for gladiatorial battles. At, At one time, Yodia and Syntyche, you were shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm in the cause of the gospel. But now you've faced off against one another. Look backward and remember the sweetness of that relationship. But don't just look backward, look forward. Look forward, your names are already written in heaven's book of life. You're going to be spending eternity together. (laughs) Work it out now, right? Work it out now because you're going to be together forever. Um, Maybe you've heard of a a Christian pastor and theologian named John Newton. He was a a, a slave trader who was converted to Jesus Christ and his sermons have such a sweetness about them and many of his hymns were published including uh, his most famous hymn, Amazing Grace. And uh, his letters have also been published and uh, he wrote one letter to a Christian who was in relational conflict with someone else. Kind of like to maybe a Euodia, right? And, uh, and, and he tells this man, he says, I want you to be very gentle in your relationship with this person you're in conflict with. And then he says this, if the person you're in conflict with is a Christian, then remember, he says, that in a little while you will meet in heaven. This person will then be dearer to you than the nearest friend you have upon earth is to you now. Anticipate that period in your thoughts. And then Newton says, if your opponent is not a Christian, they should be more an object of your compassion than your anger. What's John Newton doing? He's writing eternity into the thought, isn't he? He's writing eternity. He's writing this internal future into our present conflict. Maybe, Maybe God is leading you right now to pray for someone that you're in broken fellowship with. Maybe God is helping you to remember times of past joy and looking forward to potentially times of future joy. That's one way prayer writes joy into our thoughts. Let's talk about a second way. I'm, I'm going to call this one seasonal irritation. Seasonal irritation. Learning to find joy in the Lord's nearness. I, that sounds like allergies, doesn't it? Seasonal ir, 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 It sounds like ragweed. Um, but isn't that so often where we find ourselves in life? I mean, it's not like, you know, we've got to go to the ER or anything. But, but, but it's all these allergies. It's all these irritations in our life, all these little things that tend to, to pile up. And maybe that's why I'm so fascinated about what Paul says in, in verse five. Uh, he says, let your gentleness, maybe your translation says reasonableness or forbearance, let your gentleness be evident to all. And then he says, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Joy on the inside produces gentleness on the outside. Gentleness is also a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we more easily access that fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of gentleness, when we remember that the Lord is near. What does that mean? What does it mean that the Lord is near? Well, I think one, one meaning of that phrase is that the coming of the Lord is near. And we don't know how near. As Christians, we live as if Jesus has gone on an errand and we don't know how long the errand will take, but, but we learn to, uh, to, to be ready for his return. 
because he could suddenly come to meet us or we could suddenly go to meet him at any time. And so whether it's a minor irritability or whether it's deep suffering, we, we know that the coming of the Lord is near. We look forward to a time when we won't have to endure this suffering anymore. Did you know that, that we can thank God that there will be a time when there will be no mosquitoes or fire ants or unexpected surcharges or slab leaks or broken families or car accidents or terminal cancer. The Lord is near. The coming of the Lord is near. But maybe that feels too far off. But I think when Paul says the Lord is near, he's also saying the presence of the Lord is near. This is the consistent teaching of Scripture, right? The the Psalms talk about this all the time. The the Lord is the shade on your right hand. In the same way that, that shade might fall on you as you're sitting under a tree, the Lord is that close to you. Psalm 34, verse 18 says, the Lord is near or close to the brokenhearted. And when we reflect on the nearness of the Lord, the Spirit, our editor, revises our thoughts. There was a a famous uh, missionary around 100 years ago or so. Her name was Amy Carmichael. And Amy Carmichael remembered having a conversation with another uh, famous Christian, a guy named F.B. Meyer, uh, a pastor who when he was a young man, struggled so much with irritability. I mean, he was just always angry and irritable. And he said he talked to an older Christian, and the older Christian said, whenever you feel that anger and irritability bubbling up in you, you just need to turn your head toward heaven and say, thy sweetness, Lord. (laughs) Turn your head toward heaven and say, your sweetness. I'm feeling irritability, but you have such a sweetness, Lord. Would you give me your sweetness? And so Amy Carmichael heard this, and she adopted this practice for herself. And whenever she was dealing with somebody who kind of rubbed her the wrong way, she would just look up. I don't think she would say it in front of them, but she would just kind of look up and, 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 and silently say, uh, your love, Lord, <laughs> your love, your, your patience, Lord. Could you give me your patience in this moment? Isn't it amazing that the sweetness, the the love, the patience, the gentleness, the joy of the Lord is always near to us through the Holy Spirit. It is that shade. It is that presence. We ask the Spirit to, to, to write the big picture in the midst of our relational frustrations. We ask the Spirit to remind us of the, the nearness of the Lord in the midst of irritation. And then maybe the most famous words of this passage. Verses 6 and 7, we, we, we ask the Spirit of the Lord to enter our daily fears. We, we learn to find joy in the peace of the Lord. We find God's peace in the midst of our anxiety. Um, I love verse 6. Verse 6 uh, says it so beautifully. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer, which is kind of a more blanket term for prayer, uh, and then petition, which is a more specific aspect of prayer, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In other words, take those worry thought bubbles and turn them into prayer requests. Ask the Holy Spirit to rewrite those anxieties, to make them prayers, and just give each one to God. And don't forget to put the cherry on top of thanksgiving. I know you've got this, Lord. I know you're working in the situation. I thank you in advance. Boy, talk about finding joy in God. 
when you can just take all these worries that you're carrying and just turn them into prayer requests and give each one to God? I was thinking about this on Parent-Child Dedication Sunday. We as, as parents, grandparents, have a chance to model for our children where true joy comes from. And it doesn't come from the next Happy Meal toy that's just going to end up in a box in the garage. It doesn't, it doesn't come from that. It comes from the Lord. We can teach our children how to offload worries through prayer. I remember when my kids were little, one of the things I discovered that I hadn't been prepared for as a parent is that as a parent, one of your main jobs is just to carry things. That's what you do. You're a Sherpa. You carry all kinds of things. I mean, when my kids were little, we'd be at a t-ball game, and by the time the game was over, I would find myself, and I'd be holding Jack's jacket because it got hot. Um, I'd be holding Drew's candy bar wrapper because he couldn't find a trash can. I'd be holding... Timothy's half-empty Capri Sun, but he was going to want more of it later. Uh, and, and I would have Laurel's baby doll. And, and, and I would just have all this. And, and my children felt very free to give me all the things that they didn't want to carry at the time. They needed their hands free. And they would just give them all to me. Guess what? The Apostle Paul says, you and I have the same privilege. Thankfully, gratefully, we can give every worry to God. We can let God carry every one. And what do we get in return? Verse 7, we get the peace of God. The peace of God which transcends all understanding, which defies all human thinking. Where did this peace come from? I should not be peaceful right now. Why am I experiencing peace right now? It's because this gift Another fruit of the Spirit, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippi, uh, the city where this letter was written, uh, was a Roman colony. It had a Roman garrison. And so everybody in Philippi would know about these Roman soldiers who were set to guard the city. This is the, the same word for guard. It's this idea of a garrison, that God's peace will guard your hearts. God's peace will stand watch over your minds. What a gift. What a gift. Maybe this is why Paul says in Romans 12 that we must stop conforming our thinking to the pattern of this world and instead allow God to transform, to revise, to renew our thoughts in prayer. I am so eager for us to find more and more of this joy through prayer. I'm so eager for all of us to know that the Lord is near. I bet if we went around the room, some of us would say we grew up with a very severe form of Christianity. Some of us grew up thinking that if our Christianity was not making us miserable, that we weren't doing it right. And there is conviction of sin from time to time. But Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. I had this experience uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, where I was reminded of this joy. It was one of those out of the mouths of babes kinds of experience. Uh, I was at uh, our weekday preschool graduation, which is just cuteness 
on overload. Uh, it, and it was amazing. And I heard our, uh, our preschool graduates recite Bible verses, portions of Bible verses, that began with every letter of the alphabet. In case you're wondering, uh, Z was Zacchaeus, you come down. Uh, and um, I can't remember X. But, uh, but, but, but what I loved was when they got to D, to hear all these children with joyful smiles on their faces quote Psalm 37 verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. And then when they got to the letter R, guess what they said? Rejoice in the Lord. And they recited these promises so joyfully. I think our preschoolers were learning something that sometimes fifth graders and 12th graders and middle agers and senior adults can forget. And that is we have such a friend in Jesus. And his ultimate goal is not to make us miserable. His ultimate goal is to bring us joy and delight all the days of our life. Valley Ranch Baptist Church, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let's pray. Lord, you see all. You read all the transcripts. You know our thoughts, Lord. And so perhaps to even admit that is to pray an immediate prayer of confession. Lord, forgive us for the many times our thoughts this last week were conformed to a sinful pattern of the world. Lord, we invite you into our minds, into our thought life, and we invite you specifically through prayer. Lord, through, through prayer, expand our view so many of us, Lord, we're trapped in the moment. Help us to see the beauty of our past and the glory of our future. Lord, in prayer, let us understand and acknowledge and celebrate your nearness to us right now, as close as the shade on our right hand. And then, Lord, all these anxieties and worries. Lord, you, our Heavenly Father, we give them to you. We take them out of our hands as worries. We put them into your hands as prayer requests, grateful prayer requests. And Lord, we ask for your peace to descend on this place. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen.